0: Amen. Thank you, guys. Good morning. morning. Oh, that's good. That's good. So as Christians, wow, it seems really loud, doesn't it? It seems loud to you? It seems really loud to me. All right, so it's a little loud. I think we've established that. As Christians, we wrangle over a lot of things, don't we? We wrangle over different theological positions and doctrines. We talk about Who is God? Who is Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Bible? What is sin? Who is man? We talk about a lot of different things and one of those things we wrangle over and I think one of the things that we get wrong often is the question, what is the church? And we have a lot of different ideas and 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 even the way we speak about the church, like we'll get up in the morning and we'll say, I'm going to go to church today, or I'll see you at church. Even, even kind of saying that reveals, I think, a, a foundational, maybe not a misunderstanding, but at least the way we speak about it says something about what we think the church is when we talk about the church as a place that we go to or a building we meet in. When the church is really something else altogether, I mean, isn't it? Really. It's not a building. It's not a place. We're going to talk about that today because in a lot of ways we've been looking at church backwards. That's why this, this truth about living backwards for me has been something that's like revealing to me. When, we, when I've studied through these things that we think and we say and we do, they're either, they come on us from culture, sometimes this one kind of comes on us from, from a Christian cultural perspective even, doesn't it? When we talk and we say things about church that, that may not be completely in line with what church really is. So I kind of want to unpack that today. I want us to, to take a look and, and, and see if revealing, and we're, we're going to talk about church for a couple weeks, so it's not just going to be today. It's one of those ones that you start going and it's like, okay, this is going to take two weeks. No, wait a minute. It might take three weeks. So we'll just kind of bear with me as we move along through this process of what is church because I think this is going to be foundational for us going forward, that we have a a, a unified understanding of what is church and and how as a church we live and breathe and move. One of the questions that we, and, and when I say we, I just mean in general people ask about church. And they may not even ask it verbally. They may not even go to a church and, and say it out loud. But I think a lot of times when folks l- go to church or they look at a church or they experiencing in, they're experiencing church, they're asking this question subconsciously. And the question is this, what can I get out of church? You ever had that idea? You ever had that thought? What am I going to get out of church? What, am, what do I get out of it? I think we've all been guilty at one time or another of Of thinking about church and looking at church as something a, a place or a people or an event that I can get something out of it um, i kind of I kind of think about this I think this is like the country club mentality. you ever thought about that Church is a country club. Some of you are smiling, yeah. Anybody, do anybody belong to a country club? I just thought I'd ask. Oh, really? You do? Okay, so there's one. I don't know much about country clubs. I, you know, all I know about country club living and country club life is what I see in the TV and the movies, right? I don't know. For most of us, that's probably true. I think it's a place you pay dues, you pay a membership fee, and, and because of the membership fee, you get certain things, right? You're, you're afforded certain amenities, certain rights, Certain special treatments, maybe meals, golf, swimming, tennis, a variety of things that you get for your dues. Some of that happens in a place that's behind a gate, right? So you're even paying to be separate from other people who aren't paying, right? So you're, you're paying to get something, and the money you spend brings something back to you. And I think a lot of times when we think about church, we look at church that way. People who are looking for a country club might ask the question, how exclusive is it? What am I going to get there? What are the amenities? What, what things will be afforded to me as I pay these dues? Who will be there? Who will see me? Who will I see? How exclusive it is, right? You, you want to know these things. Unfortunately, if we apply this same kind of filter to the church, we end up asking the same kind of questions about church. What am I going to get at the church? If I give, what am I getting for the money? Do I get the kind of seats I like? Do I get chairs or pews, padded or unpadded? Air conditioning (laughs) or no air conditioning? (laughs) I know that's a touchy one, right? Some of these might be a little pointed. Is the music the kind of music I like? Is it the style I like? Is it the speed I like? Is it the words I like? Even if it's songs I know, are they songs sung the way I like? So I have to admit, we sing a lot of the same songs here that we've sung at past churches. You guys sing them different. That's okay. But if we go into church armed with these needs, then we end up asking a lot of wrong questions. Does the church have activities for me? Do they have to have activities for my kids? Do they have a good pastor? Do I like what he says? Is he entertaining? Does he hold my attention? Is he knowledgeable? Does he have time for me? How exclusive is the church? Who will I see there? Who will see me there? Will the people that I see there be like me? What do I get for what I give? Obviously, or maybe not so obviously, (laughs) we're asking the wrong questions when we go to church. We may even be talking about church with the wrong words and saying it in the wrong way. When the right question is not, what can I get out of church, but instead, what does the church get out of me? If we go into church and gathering with other Christians... With this question in mind, this perspective, it's going to completely change the way we live and breathe and relate to each other and to our community. This kind of thinking will lead us to seek God. It'll lead us to ask Him to reframe our thoughts and our attitudes about church and about why I go to church. See, we got a lot of unlearning because I just said, go to church. Right? Let's take a look at some Scripture. This is out of Ephesians 5, verse 22. I want to begin to unpack this by looking at Scripture, by reading what it says, by seeing how did Paul talk about the church, specifically in this passage. And what do we need to understand? The first thing I think we've got to understand is... Um, The church is the bride of Christ. Let's read this together. Instead of Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 32, it says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body." For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect the husband. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we allow this scripture and others that we're going to read presently penetrate our hearts and minds, Lord, I pray that you'll show us a different way of thinking about the church. And above all, Lord, I pray that you will help us and lead us and guide us into being the church. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Paul's using this metaphor of marriage to relate to us about how the church relates to Christ and to the world. Many theologians throughout the ages have studied these passages. And if you draw Paul's metaphor to its, to its right end... Paul is literally saying the church is the bride of Christ. He's saying the church is the bride of Christ, His beloved. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 2 and 3. He says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to Him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but as a father and a husband, I know a really good way to get on my bad side. And probably most husbands, fathers would agree. Go after my children, go after my wife, Right? say something bad about my wife, say something bad about my children or or actually literally just go after them. That is a problem for me. And I will defend them. With everything I have, with all that I am. I'm pretty sure most husbands and fathers feel this way about their wives and about their children. There's this trend going on in our country right now, and it's, it's kind of a disturbing trend. It's prevalent in, in social media outlets. Uh, it's prevalent in, in books, in writing, in blogs. It's a trend that's not completely unfounded, and it's not completely unfair. I'm not sure what you would entitle it, but you can find it on the Internet in posts and in blogs with titles like this. Why I am leaving the church. Anybody heard about, you know, why I'm leaving the church? Anybody? Yeah. How the church ruined my, trip, my life. Dear church, why I'm never coming back. It's interesting that a lot of this is, this cultural animosity towards the church is being launched from within the church by Christians. This isn't even a, an anti-Christian thing or a, a people who are outside of Christianity, outside of the church thing. A lot of this is coming up from the inside. Listen to what I'm saying today. It's this. If the church is the bride of Christ and he died for his bride because he loves it so much, then we better figure out real quick how to fall in love with his bride. Because I don't know about you, I don't want to mess with the bride of Christ. I think that's a really bad idea. Would you agree? I mean, I think it's a bad idea. Uh, I can't think of, 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 of a worse thing to do. You don't insult another man's wife. <laughs> you don't insult another man's bride. So when we say things like, I don't like the church. I don't want to be a part of the church. The church is, the church is, is archaic. It's You know what? The, the, the church has its issues, right? It has spots. It has blemishes. But it's the bride of Christ. And he loved it and still loves it to this day, enough so that he died for it. So we better figure out real quick how to love the bride of Christ. We're going to talk about and, and continue that idea of the blemishes and the spots. We're going to cover that next week. We're going to talk about some of those next week. So we're going to leave that point for now and continue to talk about loving the bride of Christ. I'm going to sum this up really simply for you. The church doesn't exist for you. That's, that's it. Just write that one down. The church doesn't exist for you. You exist for the church. Precisely because the church exists for God and His glory. We've thought about it backwards. The church is for me. The church is what I make it or what I want it to be or what I give to make it. That's what the church is. But in fact, the church is something else altogether. It's the bride of Christ. It belongs to Him, and it's His. And He's the one that gets to decide what the church will or won't be. The church doesn't exist for you. How does that sit with you when you hear that today? Are you like, (laughs) grrr? Is that off-putting at all? I mean, just be honest. It could be. Somebody out there might be thinking, oh, I don't know, I thought the church was for me. I give to the church. I ought to be able to say what I want the church to be. Just as if I was giving to a country club, I ought to be able to say, here's what I want for what I'm paying Here's what I want for, for the time that I give and the resources that I, that I, I, I invest in this place. This kind of leads to a thought that's going to come up a lot in the coming days and weeks and months. So write this one down. Write it right up at the top. In fact, the next time you buy, anybody buy a, a leather-bound Bible? Do people buy leather-bound Bibles anymore? The next time you buy one, you know how you can get your name imprinted on the front Think about getting this imprinted on the front instead. You ready? This life is not about you. Just have that. Just anybody. Just print that. We put our names on our Bibles so we can find them, right? This life is not about you. Just have that printed right on the front of your Bible. Get a T-shirt. Well, that might be. That might. You could. You could put this life is not about me and wear it on a T-shirt. I don't know. You, you could. But we get this self-centered look. This self-centered attitude about how we exist and, and the things we do, and how church should feed us, and the church should do for me, and life is about me, and I'm the center, which is the antithesis of everything that God says about who we are in Christ. the The exact opposite. You are not the center. The church doesn't exist for you. The world doesn't revolve around you. I didn't write this and prepare this message for you today. Believe it or not, you're listening to it. We're, we're hearing it. But everything exists for God's glory. It all exists for Him. That's why He made it. Nothing else matters. The sooner that we get a hold of that, the sooner that we realize we were created for His purposes, and His purpose is alone, the sooner you and I quit expecting everything is for us. The sooner we quit doing that, the sooner the glory goes to the Father. You're not sure about that. Maybe you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I I believe this. Let's let's look at some more scripture. We'll hammer this home. Uh, Paul again, Colossians 1, 1 through 20, where he talks about the church being the body of Christ. Let's read this together. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in the church at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven And that you have already heard about the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world the gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, who also told us of your love in the Spirit. joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, or rulers or authority. All things were created by him and for him. I like that verse. It reminds me that it's not about me. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile Himself to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. You're going to notice, I'm just going to take a little side note here, that when I read Scripture passages in the context of what we're talking about in a message, I will very, very rarely just take a verse or two verses or even sometimes five verses, I really wanted to talk about, and he is the head of the body of the church. I could have just taken that one passage, but I wanted you to capture the whole flow of what Paul was saying in the context of why Christ is the head. I wanted you to see everything that led up before that and everything that came behind it because it all points to what we're talking about. By him all things were created, things in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, were the thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is the head of the church. He is the head of the body. It's all for him. He's at the top. It's all his. So the right question again becomes, what does the church get out of me? What are the implications of this statement, Christ is the head? When we talk about this, what does it mean? He's in charge. He calls the shots. We don't decide as a church or as individuals or as a leadership team or or, or as any uh, appointed or elected group within the church. We don't decide what the church local is going to do. The head decides that. I am not the head. Christ is the shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the leader of the church. He's the head of the church. We're his bride. We're his followers. We're his children. You can unpack all of those different ideas from Scripture. I don't know about you, but when my children were children, I didn't let them decide what we were going to do. I didn't let you guys decide. I mean, I asked you guys what you want to do sometimes. But, I mean, you ask kids what they want to do when they're young, and sometimes they come up with crazy stuff, right? What do you guys want to eat for dinner tonight? we want Lucky Charms. Well, guess what? We're going to have meat and vegetables and fruit and going to have Lucky Charms for breakfast. We let you guys have plenty of Lucky Charms. But we don't let the kids make the decisions. And in the same way, God doesn't say, okay, church, you decide what to do. I bless you. Just go. He says, I'm the head. I am in control. He's, He's the head of the church universal, all the church, He's the head of the local church, this local body. He's the great shepherd. I am an under-shepherd. I am not in charge of the church. I am not the head of the church. Christ is the head. We seek Him. We follow Him. The direction the church takes is His to decide. This is why in everything we do as a church and in every other way, we should first look to Christ. Christ. That's why a couple weeks ago when we talked and I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray and we're going to wait. Why? Because we're not in charge. Because as a church body and as individuals and as a leadership team and as a pastor, I don't know what we're supposed to do until Christ says do it. So we seek him first. Now we know some things we're supposed to do. We're going to talk about those in a minute. We don't wait for Christ to tell us everything we have to do because we know some things he's already told us to do. We don't go and ask them again, should we do these things you've already said we should do? We, we do those. But as a local body in seeking a direction for mission and for what we're going to do, where we're going to go, where we're going to spend our time, our energies, and our resources in this village, in this town, community, state, nationally, internationally, we seek the Lord on those things. Lord, show us. Show us what we're going to do. Think about this from a military perspective. In the military, who makes decisions? I mean, go all the way to the top. Where does it, what's the top, the top of the U.S. military? Who is it? The president. the president. Okay. I'm watching Designated Survivor right now. I've never seen it before. Um, Kara was watching it. She said, hey, this is pretty good. You should watch it. So we're watching it on Hulu. You know, And in the first couple episodes, the president fires the head general, right? The head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff because the president is at the top. And this guy tried to do something. The president didn't say do, so he fired him. It's the same in the rest of the military. People below certain ranks, certain pay grades, certain authorities don't make decisions. The people above them make decisions. But it all goes all the way back to the top, who makes the ultimate decision. That's the president. It's the same in the church. God's appointed shepherds in the church. He's appointed under shepherds. He's appointed elders, deacons. These kind of people in the church, they have leadership ability. They have some authority. Uh, Whether it's given to them by God or offered to them by the church or shared with the church. it's It's a variety of ways it happens in different churches, different structures. Because churches around the world have tried to figure out how is the best way to do church, right? There's a lot of different ways. But ultimately, it all goes back to Christ. Whatever the internal structure of the local church is, Christ is always the head, He is always at the top, and we always go back to Him to seek our direction. How this plays out practically is we learn to ask different questions as a church. We learn to ask different questions. We learn to have different expectations about the local church, why it is here, and what it does. Here's one of the things Christ said that's a non-negotiable that we don't have to ask Him about. you guys remember Matthew 28, 19, and 20? He said, go, therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We don't have to go back and ask God if we should do that. We don't wake up in the morning and say, God, um, what should I do today? Should I go make disciples? I'm just going to wait on you to tell me whether I should do what you've already told me to do today. That's something the church can do now. That's non-negotiable. You can always do that. In fact, not only can you always do that, you should always be doing that. And if you're not doing it, there's a word for it, and we don't like it. It's called disobedience. We're being disobedient if we're not doing the things God's already told us to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. That's the thing the church should be doing. We should always be doing that. Our attitude about the existence of the local church expression in Elmwood Park will take on a kingdom perspective when we begin to ask the question how do we get the gospel before other people God's told us get the gospel before other people but but when that's the question we begin to ask as a church how are we going to get the gospel before people how are we going to get the gospel before our, our friends our neighbors our family members that's why the church exists the church exists to be his bride, his body, in a place, the local church, planted in a community. This one's planted in Elmwood Park. And it's planted here for a purpose. It's a beachhead. That's the word I was trying to think of last week. I said it was a beachfront. I was, ta- I was talking with Megan and Terry last week, last week, and I said, the church is supposed to be a beachfront. And we all kind of looked at each other, and we're like, I don't think that's the right word. We couldn't come up with it, but I came up with it this week. A beachhead. It's the place where the, the military makes a landing and they prepare for an attack. We're, a, we're an army. This is our beachhead. God's given it to us right here in the center of Elmwood Park. It's an access point into the land of lostness, and that land is all around us. When you walk out today, you look at every house in every direction. The vast majority of the people living in those houses and in those places don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. So we stop asking what the church can do for us, and we begin to ask the question, what can we as the church do for people that aren't here yet? That becomes our purpose. And we don't think about making it comfortable here for our own needs and our own purposes, but we begin to think about this place in terms of the people that aren't here yet. Look around and do you see seats? There are people coming to sit in those seats. Who are they? I don't know. We don't know them yet. But they're coming. They're coming because we're a gospel light in this community. Because we're a beachhead for the army of God to go out and share the gospel. And the people that come and sit in these seats are the people that should be on our minds and in our prayers. As we prepare for them, they become the focus of what the church does. We so ask Christ, what's the church for? He said, "It's to go and make disciples and to baptize them. We're going to raise the curtain and put the screen away and we're going to baptize people and they're going to be baptized and they're going to they're come and they're going to be part of this body of Christ and they're going to fill these seats, and they're going to ask the same questions that we ask. When we look in this community, we're going to look at the community, and we're going to say, what do they need? Who, who are they? What are their problems? What are their desires? What are their heartbreaks? What language do they speak? What are their names? And we begin to pray for the people that are coming to fill these seats. 1 Corinthians 9 19 through 23 talks about a radical. This is radical. I'm going to ask you guys to do something radical today. Let's read it together. Before I tell you what it is, I'm just going to read it, then we'll talk about it. He says this Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Write that down. I am a slave. I know that's kind of a word from the past that we're like, oh, we don't like that word. It has a lot of cultural baggage with it. But Paul is talking about it from a different perspective here, a perspective of making yourself subservient to everybody else. And he says, I do this to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. I did this, he says, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Listen to what he says. Look at it, it's even underlined up there. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel. so that I may share in its blessings. That's like Paul's mission statement. Yes, Paul, why do you do this, Paul? Why do you do what you do, Paul? I do this for the sake of the gospel. I make myself a slave. If we could truly grasp the the depth of Paul's statement today and make this our life slogan, our life purpose, Paul's statement has this... Same sentiment of what I talked about a moment ago. I am not first, right? I am, I am last. This world is not about me. Paul says, not only is it not about me, but I'm going to make myself slave to everyone else and a slave to Christ so that by some means, any means, some people will come to know Christ as Lord and Savior through my life. A slave. Let's take a look at the definition. I don't know if I got it in time in the slides to make it up there, but it's this. A person who is legally owned by someone else and has no personal freedom. That's what Paul's saying. I am property of Christ. He created us. He died for us. He went to the grave for us. He rose again he paid the price for my sin. If I know him as Lord and Savior, I am no longer my own. Don't these sound like the words of Paul? Paul has said that very thing. I am no longer my own. But we still live like we're our own, don't we? And we still live like the church is for us. And we still live like like everything is for us. But Paul's saying, you know what? It's not about us. Listen, as he changes, um, as, as he gives direction to the church in Philippi, this is out of Philippians 2, 1 through 3. He kind of builds on this same idea. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, he's obviously talking to believers. If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the, fin- with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he says, then make my joy complete. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love Being in one spirit, in purpose, and purpose, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. So Christ is the head of church, right? And within the church, we all consider everybody else better than ourselves. (laughs) But that's not what the church thinks sometimes, is it? Sometimes we think, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I'm better than other people, I'm better than people that don't know Christ yet. I'm better than them. That's that country club mentality. I'm not saying anybody who belongs to a country club necessarily feels that way. But some of them certainly do. I am better. I have the keys to the kingdom. (laughs) I can go in here by myself and you can't come in because you hadn't paid to get in. When we bring that into the church, that's just plain wrong. When we make the church about us and our needs, it's our place. Uh, then we close ourselves off from the community and we become a, a castle, a fortress, uh, an inoculated little body against, uh, against all the bad things that are happening out there. That's what the church becomes for a lot of people. It's like this place I go, I hide out with people that are like me, that know Christ. Uh, we get a little recharge so that we can make it through the next week out there with those people Any of this resonating with anybody? (laughs) You ever felt this? It happens. Think about these two ideas for a second. He says, I make myself a slave to everyone and consider others better than yourselves. These two ideas really contain the distillation of what we're talking about. The distillation of this idea that this life is not about you. Everyone else is first, and I'm last. There was this time when Jesus was walking with the disciples. They were on their way to Jerusalem, and they had had some discussions along the way, and they'd asked Christ about you know, what was to come. And he had told them that he would die and he would be buried and he would be raised again. And they were, they were confused about this. But, but two of the guys, Scripture gives them different names, James, John, sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder. These two guys had an idea while they were walking and they, they went up to Christ and they said, hey, maybe your kids have done this to you. I want you to say yes to this thing we're about to ask you. Your kids ever done that? Anybody just raise your hand. Your kids ever walk, "Hey dad, I want I want this thing." I want say yes first and then I'll ask you. And Jesus didn't say yes or no. He just said, "What do you guys want?" And they said, "Well, we were thinking when you're in glory, could you give one of us the seat on the left of you and the other one the seat on the right?" I know. Where was the the lightning? I mean, it was like... You could just see these two guys go up in a little cinder. What were they thinking about? Where were their minds? Were their minds on earthly things or on godly things? Earthly things. They were thinking kind of eternally. They were like, maybe we can hedge our bets in the future, in this eternity, in this heaven. Christ is talking about maybe we can have the best spots if we ask first. So let's ask. Let's go ask him. And he said, you know what, guys? You can't take what's coming my way. You can't drink the cup that I'm going to have to drink. You know what they said? We, we can do it, Jesus. We can drink the cup you're going to drink. Bring it on. And Jesus said, you know what? You guys are going to drink it. I wonder if, if, you know, he's like, He knew. Like, you guys are going to drink that cup. It's coming your way. But the seat to the left and the right of me in glory are not mine to give to you. They're reserved for those for which it's already reserved. It's for somebody else. Now, the other 10 we're listening in. And it says in Scripture they were indignant. They were disgusted with the two and their request, right? Were they disgusted? They didn't think of it first. I don't know. It doesn't say. Man, why didn't we think of asking him that first? You ever do that? You have siblings. I didn't have any siblings, so I don't know. But you put the one sibling up to go into the parents. Hey, you go ask. If it works out, you're like, yeah. If it doesn't work out, you're like, nah. You're in trouble. It doesn't say why they were indignant, but they were indignant. They were disgusted. Jesus called them together. And he said, you know what? You guys are looking in the wrong direction. You're thinking about the wrong things. Your minds are on earthly things. They're not on heavenly things. Your minds are on the earthly kingdom, your kingdom, what you can get, instead of being on the kingdom of God. He said, you want what you can get. But he says, that's not how the kingdom works. The first will be last. The last will be first. And he said, in fact, I came as, as Christ, as man, God, the God-man. I set down that godness, and I came down on earth as man to suffer the indignity of humanity, to be crucified, to die, to be buried, to raise again to save you, but I did that in order to serve. Not to be first, not to be um, lorded, oh, you're great, you're, you're, you're wonderful. He didn't come for that. He didn't come to be taken care of. He didn't come for country club treatment. He came to serve, and he came to save And he told the guys, you're looking in the wrong direction. And you're thinking about the wrong things. The same way that we do it in church. Christ laid out some very clearly anti-country club sentiments here. It's not about what you want and what you can get. It's not about getting a better seat in glory. It's not about getting a better seat on Sunday. If Christ loved the church and is bright enough to die for it, why can't we? Think about that for a minute. I mean, don't don't just let that go by. Christ loved this church, this body, these people, and all the other churches that are His, and all the other people that are His, and the universal church, both today, presently, and through history, He loved us and them enough to die for them. And he's called us to do the same thing. Why don't we do it? If Christ came to serve others at the expense of his own needs, why can't we do it? Take our needs, put them on the shelf, say, those are my needs. That's not important. What's important is somebody else's needs. Why can't we do that? Paul says he came to live and serve as a slave to others. Why can't we do that? He said he, he considers himself lower than other people and he considers other people first why don't we do that it's because we've lost sight of our purpose it's because we've lost we've lost sight of the purpose of the church we've lost sight of why the church exists we've elevated our own needs to a place they don't belong could that be it We've elevated our own needs. Anybody right now sitting in your seat, you're like, yeah, I can see that. I've done that. I've elevated my own needs to a place I don't belong. It's imperative that we adopt a kingdom view for the purpose of the church. Why does the church exist? Christ is the head. So when we, when, we, when we bring that down to the local body and we talk about this church in Elmwood Park, we seek the Lord first. He's the head. And we ask Him, which way do we go? What do we do? While we're going along making disciples, while we're baptizing, while we're teaching, we also seek direction from Him. Because He's the one that knows where He wants it to go. He's the one that already knows who's going to sit in all these seats. Could be your neighbors, friends, family. Could be people you don't know. People that aren't here yet, you don't know who they are. Guess who does know? God knows. God knows. Everything we do as a church must be for people who aren't here yet. We've got to get that in our minds. And everything we do must be in order to bring people closer to Christ. Is that something we can get behind? Anybody? I know if you you can't get behind, you're going to be like, I I can't say no because it's right out of the Bible. But anybody who wants to get behind me, who's behind me? Let's do this. This is what he's calling us to do. Church. Family. And I love that Paul says, do it in a spirit of Unity. I think we can agree today. I know Christians are a hard group to get in agreement about anything, right? We can agree today on one thing. We can pray and ask the head which way we're supposed to go. And while we're doing that, we make disciples and we baptize them and we teach them. And we fill these seats with the people that God wants to reach. And then when it's filled, then we fill them again. (laughs) I'm not saying let's grow a big church for the purpose of growing a big church, but you know what? God's kingdom is, is open and endless, and uh, it's plenty of seating. He wants it to be full. It says in Scripture, He's not willing anyone should perish, but He wants all to know Him. He wants all to have that opportunity. Now, some people are going to say no. Some people are going to say yes. Some people are going to say, I don't know. It's not up to us. What's on us is the going. Go make disciples. Go baptize them. Go teach them. Follow the head. Pray and wait. Just keep writing those things down. This church is not about me. This life is not about me. Just keep repeating them. And keep following the head. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. I pray that as you continue in, in, the, in, in the week as we sit down and we study these and we, we, we pray and, and ask for guidance and, and as we wait on you, Lord, that you'll show us very clearly as a church the direction you want us to go. I pray, Lord, you'll take us out of our comfort zones that we will go make disciples, that we will baptize them that we will teach them lord you've told us to do these things we don't have to ask you again if we should do them we should just do them lord i pray that you change our hearts i pray that you change our attitudes i pray that as we are sitting here and we see the seats in front of us that don't have anybody in them lord you prompt us to pray for the people who are coming to fill those seats Lord, make everything we do as a church about those who are not yet here. Lord, I pray that you help us to see with your eyes. Help us to see with your kingdom vision. Lord, forgive us when we've made it about us. Lord, forgive us when we've been selfish. Forgive us when we thought we were more important than we really are. Lord, forgive us. Lord, as a church, we're going we're gonna to follow you. We're going to wait on you. We want to listen to you, Lord. We want to hear from you, Lord. As we pray, we listen for you to speak. We listen for that voice that says, turn left, turn right, go straight. Lord, help us to take quiet moments, times in Scripture and times in prayer and times in silence, that we might hear you, Lord, so much of our day and our week as Loud and it drowns you out. Lord, I pray that as we take time before you, we hear you clearly. Lord, keep us as a unified body moving in one direction. Lord, I pray that this church in the center of the village becomes a place of healing becomes a place where people from this community can find safety, they can find love, that they can find you here. Lord, I pray that we not stand in their way. I pray that we welcome and that we love as people come. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing here as you're bringing together both people in this church and new people who are, who are coming in. Lord, you're bringing together a church that's going to have a purpose of reaching this community. I pray, Lord, as we have opportunity this week, that we'd be fearless and bold, talking about our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that these seats fill with those who you already know, those who you already desire to be here. Lord, hold us accountable. Hold us responsible. Lord, we come before you today having asked forgiveness for whatever's on our hearts and whatever's on our minds, Lord. And now we ask that in in humble servant attitude you use us. Lord, we know that's what you want to do. You want to make us usable for your purposes and for your will. So Lord, we Offer ourselves to you today as a living sacrifice. May it be holy and pleasing to you. May it be usable to you. For your purposes. And for your glory. Lord, we offer this church. We offer this building. We offer this place. Our time, our resources, our gifts, our bank account. Lord, we offer. We give all those to you that are yours already. But Lord, we... we knowingly and purposefully today say before you that all of these things are yours, they're not ours use them for your purposes Lord, you're the head you're the husband you're the great shepherd you're the creator Lord, we're your children your bride your followers, your army I pray that we be usable in your hands and for your kingdom. And out of everything that you do through us and in us, Lord, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise now and forever because you are a great God and you are deserving. Lord, we love you. And we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who saves. Amen.